Welcome back. It's Due South on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri. You've probably heard that skipping the trip to Starbucks twice a week can save you seven or eight bucks. And across a year, that means 400 additional dollars in your pocket. And while it's true that cutting back on discretionary spending can, of course, save you money, there are other additional approaches to consider when it comes to compiling your own cash, such as where do you keep your money and how much are they charging you to hold it? We're going to delve into the world of personal finance now with Gabriel Trevis Kagan. He's the vice president of development at the Latino Community Credit Union, LCCU, on subsequent mentions. He's here in the studio, and Gabe, or Gabriel, wears several financial hats at the credit union, including uh, teaching a financial literacy class, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Gabe, welcome to Do South. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here. In a bit, we're going to also pose a couple of listener questions to you and consider some end-of-year financial decisions or options. Uh, but first, I want to chat about the history of LCCU. Let's begin with when did it start and why? Sure. And, you know, we always love to tell the story of the credit union through the stories of our members. So I'll share the story of Roberto, who moved to Durham, North Carolina in the mid-90s, at a time when the Latino population was really starting to grow, both in Durham and across the region and really the state. And unfortunately, Roberto, like many other Latinos, was unbanked at the time. And one day when he went to cash his check, or after he cashed his check and was walking home, he was robbed at gunpoint. And the reason for that is that word had gotten out that the growing Latino community was primarily unbanked. So we had a target on our backs. And so as a result of that and and many other similar stories, leaders in the local Latino community and the faith community and leaders of other local credit unions got together and decided to form the Latino Community Credit Union to create a space where Latinos like Roberto would feel welcome and where they could open an account, keep their money safe, keep their family safe, and ultimately achieve economic stability and wealth in the long term. Was Roberto okay? Was he harmed? Yeah, thanks for asking. Roberto was okay, but there were, you know, there are other sad stories where where folks, you know, were not. So, you know, it was a local public crisis that needed to be addressed. And so we, we opened our first branch here in Durham in the year 2000. And within the first weeks, hundreds and then thousands of, of people, mostly Latinos and immigrants, opened their accounts. And, you know, what I always like to, to share is that within the year, the leadership at LCCU got a call from the Charlotte Police Department, mm-hmm. which had heard that crime targeting Latinos had gone down in Durham since we'd opened our first branch. So they asked us to open a branch in Charlotte. And so that's where we opened our second branch the next year in 2001. And then a year after, one in Greensboro. And today, we have 15 branches across the state. We have 135,000 members. We offer a you know, full breadth of financial products and services, fair and affordable financial yeah. products and services. I'm sure we'll talk about that yeah. in English and in Spanish. Uh-huh. We have a billion dollars in assets. We've made $1.9 billion in loans. And what's most important is that that's $1.9 billion in loans to folks that traditionally are locked out of the economic mainstream. And like Roberto, for too long, didn't have a place to keep their money safe and to invest their talent to, you know, as I've mentioned, achieve economic stability, 
and ultimately build wealth and stability for their families. I, I want to back up on a couple of points here because some of what you just said to me is remarkable. Charlotte called, law enforcement officials in Charlotte called uh, law enforcement officials here in Durham, or they, excuse me, they called you, LCCU, yeah. and they said, hey, we want a credit union here because uh, we want to cut down on crime, which is uh, just kind of a remarkable statement and sentiment. Did crime, in fact, or armed robberies, did they dip in yeah, Charlotte? Yeah, and actually, actually uh, maybe a decade later, the uh, let me see if I get this right, the Darden School of Business at the University of Virginia conducted mm-hmm. a study, uh, and they found that in every county where the Latino community has a branch, yeah. over time, crime goes down. Wow. And, you know, and the it's surprising and it's impressive, but it makes sense. You know, when people have a safe place to keep their money and have an opportunity to enter the financial mainstream, take out a loan to buy a car to get to a better job or ultimately buy a home, that stabilizes families and then communities. Yeah. So here's the other place I want to just back up and, and kind of pull on the, the cultural thread, cultural differences. Uh, I grew up with uh, two white parents, and when dad needed money, I remember uh, going to the cool cash machine, the ATM. He'd buzz that Bay Bank card in. He'd get his money. Yeah. Banks aren't as ubiquitous, I am gathering, in Latin America and in other parts of of, uh, of the world, in the Western Hemisphere. Why were there so many Latinos who were unbanked? Yeah, and that's a astute observation and a good question. And you're right. Banks in the financial system— across Latin America and much of the world is very, very different than the U.S. So I come from Argentina. And in Argentina to this day, most folks are unbanked and actually see taking on debt as a negative thing. And, you know, the reasons are many, but at the end of the day, folks don't trust financial institutions there and feel a level of discomfort with financial institutions for a very complicated set of reasons. So most people operate in the cash system in Latin American countries. When it's time to buy a home, you carry a big bag of cash. (laughs) That makes me nervous just hearing you say it. And then to your question, so when people come to the U.S., you know, they come with some of that distrust of financial institutions and are slow to open that first bank account. And as I'd like to discuss later on, in many cases, they're right to be distrustful because... It's expensive to be unbanked, but it can also be expensive to be poorly banked. That means you, mm-hmm. if you're with a financial institution, you know, that has high minimums and high fees, maintenance fees, if you don't meet those minimums on a savings account or a checking account, every month you might be paying $10, $12 for each one of those accounts and all sorts of other hidden fees. So that's why so many Latinos were unbanked and unsure about, you know, uh, what their options were. Gabe Trevis Kagan, Vice President of Development at the Latino Community Credit Union, is our guest here on Do South. And we're going to get to some of that nuance that you're talking about here in just a moment, the difference in fees, the difference in pay structure, the difference in, wait, where did that, where did that little portion of, wait, well, who's taking my money and why element of this, which is very important. Um, broadly, just to frame it up, give us the general differences. Remind us for those that, that might not be remembering banks, credit unions, Differences and maybe the overlap. So a bank is a for-profit enterprise that at the end of the day answers to its shareholders. Mm-hmm. Every quarter, it's under pressure to have a better quarter than the, the one before. So every decision that it makes keeps that in mind. So they set up products and services to make money from their clients. And it's often the case that they 
benefit wealthier clients so that those clients can bring their savings in at the expense of folks that that have lower wealth. So the high minimums and high fees often only apply to folks with lower levels of income, and it can become very expensive for them. Whereas a credit union is a not-for-profit, member-owned, community-focused financial institution. We answer to our members, and that dictates every decision that we make. So we keep low minimums and, and low to no fees on our accounts. Our products are designed to empower our members, to help our members build wealth. And they're also designed to be accessible. So, you know, we have small dollar loans that can help a member just starting out. We help our members start and build credit. You know, folks that traditionally some of the bigger banks right. call unrisky or unbankable and really don't want to spend the time with. You know, occasionally you get these notes in the mail. Hey, open an account with us and we'll put $200 in your account 90 days out. Or open an account here. There's some little financial incentive. Okay. So I got one the other day, and it, I won't name the bank, but it's a it's a local it's a bank here and uh, operates in North Carolina. And they said, "Hey, here's an opportunity for a thousand dollars." And that like it was in big blue bold. And that caught my attention. I said, "A thousand dollars." Okay, let me read the fine print here. Yeah. And it said, "If you open an account with us and do a direct deposit, we will put a thousand dollars in your account." Uh, after 90 days. And I said, all right, so far, so good. Keep reading. And it says, you must maintain an average balance in your checking account of (laughs) $100,000 for three months. And I just, I thought, wow, like that's, I mean, I literally laughed out loud because that to me is a huge amount of money to A, have and B, to have in a a checking account. Um, Just to kind of underscore that here. You talk about very low cost fees, low cost minimums with your members. What are the requirements to open an account at the LCCU? We have an open field of membership. So anyone, and as I like to say, everyone should become a a member of the Latino Community Credit Union. All you have to do is pay a $8 membership fee and that funds our financial education work. And that's basically it. Most of our members are Latinos and immigrants, but we have members from 136 countries. And increasingly, folks who are interested in, you know, banking local, making sure that the money in their savings is being put to work locally, mm-hmm. you know, funding loans in the, in the community and creating wealth in the community. I could open. I don't have an account with you all just for full disclosure, but right. I could if I wanted to. You There's... could if you wanted to. Okay. Yeah. Um, you've been with the LCCU for how many years? Since 2016. Since 2016. And I always love to say that I was a member of the credit union before I started working there. I like that. Yeah. You teach a class about financial literacy. I suspect you've encountered many misconceptions through your teaching, through your everyday work, maybe even through a conversation with me. Uh, What are the top three or five or few misconceptions that you deal with? Yeah. First, let me talk a little bit about the financial education workshop at the credit union. So we uh, twice a year in the spring and in the fall, we offer a financial, a four part financial education workshop to all of our members, but it's actually open to anyone in the community. And we teach these in English and in Spanish, some in English, some in Spanish. And the first one focuses on an introduction to the financial mainstream in the U.S. and basically your budgeting 101. Then we move on to talk about loans, how to take out a loan, how to manage debt. Then we talk about credit, how to establish and build and maintain credit. And finally, a final class on saving for the future, so for retirement and for your kids' education. And 
you know, we teach our courses in a way that it encourages uh, the participants to share their own stories. We've learned that when folks hear from one another, you know, they see that they're not alone in some of their challenges and ultimately do better. So some of the misconceptions, you know, often it's that I don't make enough money to save, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's a key one. And what I say there is, and especially to folks who are not yet members of the credit union, is, well, what about, you know, if, if you're unbanked, what are the costs of being unbanked? If you are poorly banked, what are the costs of, you know, being a, a client at one of these for-profit banks? Can we address some of those monthly costs? And, you know, that, that can get you started, and that goes a really long way. Another misconception that I often hear is that folks who are living paycheck to paycheck and have low levels of wealth and income are too risky for a financial institution. And what we've seen is that that is not at all the case. Often folks who have low levels of income and low levels of wealth at other financial institutions are set up with loans that, you know, they cannot manage. They have high interest rates and, okay. you know, that are, become just unmanageable. So it's really just about setting up folks to succeed from the beginning. If someone comes into our credit union and is not, we see that they're not ready to take out a loan, we don't say no and close the door. What we do is we, you know, help them get to that point. So we invite them to our financial education class, maybe encourage them to take out a secured loan. So they're putting the collateral against the, the money that they borrow. I, I want to run this back to you. I'm sure. Admittedly, I'm not trying to do this next question in a leading way, but sure. it might. And I, I, I just want you to respond. So you, we talk about I'm, I, my phrase here, the floor. And you talk about people who are maybe lower earners and yeah. uh, they just don't have as much wealth. They don't have as much money. And traditionally, financial institutions have either turned their back on, closed their door to these people or they've really hammered them with high rates and almost a non-winnable situation, a really tough uh, financial path forward. Is it rooted in racism? Is it rooted in greed or an eye toward profits? Is it, is it predatory? Why has this been the case? Why can't everybody easily borrow money, whether you make a million dollars a year or $24,000 a year? Yeah. I mean, that is a, a giant question. It is, and I threw it at you. Yes, yeah, no, no, Thanks I appreciate it. Along. I mean, I, I think it's a lot of, of all of those things. It's extremely expensive to be unbanked, but, it, you know, low-wealth folks can be a cash cow for some of these big banks, and they are folks who are in vulnerable positions, so it's hard for them to push back when the bank tells them that they got to pay $12 a month because they can't keep $1,500 in their savings or their checking account. When you're vulnerable, it's hard to push back against some of these injustices. And that's what high minimums and hidden fees are. They're, they're unjust. But that's the life of many working class people and folks living paycheck to paycheck. You're under so much stress that you don't have time to push back. You don't, and sometimes you don't have time to explore and see what other options are there for you. And so that's what we try to do. We try to create an alternative that is affordable, that's fair, and that's empowering for members of the community. 
Generally speaking, uh, I want to talk about interest rates here for a moment. Just want to remind our listeners that they're just joining us. Uh, Gabe Trevis Kagan, Vice President of Development at the Latino Community Credit Union, is here with us on Due South chatting about the history of the LCCU as well as some uh, personal finance. Uh, in terms of interest rates, as we think about credit unions versus banks, is there a notable discrepancy between mortgage rates, between loans for cars or other purchases, home equity lines, things like that? Or are they really quite similar? So I go back to what I said before. A credit union and its products are there to empower its members and help them build wealth. So that means that we try to keep our rates on our savings products as high as possible and our rates on our loans as low as possible. Of course, we have costs that we have to cover, but we do the best we can to provide fair and affordable loans. A thing that makes the Latino Community Credit Union unique is that we offer the same rate to all of our members on our loans, no matter whether you are of high wealth mm, or if you have... Interesting. Yeah, or if you know, you're know you just starting out. So in other words, we don't create benefits for folks who come from wealth and we don't prejudice or, or we don't... Yeah, we don't prejudice folks who are just starting out. Everybody gets the same rate. And you've removed some of the the tiers that do exist in other places. Exactly. You will not avenues. get that, that uh, misleading flyer from us. All right. Before we go to our break, I asked Gabe to quiz me with some financial literacy questions. All right, Jeff. So what do you think a typical person here in Durham or across North Carolina pays to cash their check at a local check casher? If they're unbanked? If they're unbanked. So, privilege acknowledged before I answer, I've never had to do this. I just want to make sure I'm understanding it. I've got a check for $250. I bring it somewhere to get cashed. It's not a flat fee is my first guess. Yeah. It is going to be a cut of whatever the check. It's going to be a percentage, which is predatory. I'm editorializing already. But like if you have $1,000, it's not $10 for you to cash the check. It's going to be a percentage of the $1,000. So the more money is in that check, the more they're going to get you for. And my guess is that it's going to be like, just judging your eye, it's like 12%. No, it's not that high. It's not that high. Okay, 7%. Yeah, you know, it's always too high. Yeah. And it can be somewhere between 3 and 7%. Gosh, that's high. Yeah. But like if I have a three thousand dollar check, three percent of three thousand is ninety dollars. Is it not? If I'm doing my math correctly, I think you're doing your math right. And back to what we were talking about, we're talking about folks who are doing the best they can, but operating on really slim margins. Yeah. So ninety dollars here, ninety dollars there, really begins to add up. Those kinds of fees create barriers toward financial stability and generating wealth. In North Carolina, the wealth held by white households is more than three and a half times the wealth of Latino households. That's according to a recent Brookings Institution report. In talking about intergenerational wealth, the same report cites a survey that shows about 4% of Latino families and just 6% of Black families expect to receive an inheritance of any kind. That compares to 17% of white families and 15% of other families. Wealth accumulation and the barriers to it is a much deeper conversation that we hope to explore in a future segment about your money. 
consider sending us an email at south at wunc.org. You can also connect with us on Instagram at DoSouthRadio. More with Gabriel Treves-Kagan of the Latino Community Credit Union on the other side. I'm Jeff Tabiri. You're listening to Do South on WUNC. Welcome back. It's Do South here on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri here in studio with Gabe Treves-Kagan, Vice President of Development at the LCCU, Latino Community Credit Union. We're chatting about uh, personal finance, differences between credit unions and uh, more established for-profit financial institutions, otherwise known as banks. Uh, And we're going to try to work in a couple of your questions, listener questions here as well. We'll do that uh, in just a couple of moments. Much deviation, Gabe, as we talk about personal finance. There's your take-home pay, your expenses, how many earners in your household, how many people in your household, like uh, kids, elderly, how many mouths you have to feed, so to speak. Lots of variants. That acknowledged, I'd love to hear from you on general best practices or approaches, whether you're taking home $2,000 a month or $10,000 a month. I'd like to know most people are in between $2,000 and $10,000 a month. Budgeting is really important. I know many that follow adhere to the 50-30-20 rule. For those that aren't familiar, uh, this is a budgeting metric. You slot 50% toward needs, 30% toward wants, and 20% toward savings. Uh, 50-30-20 rule, budgeting, take it where you would like. What are some of your best practices for uh, utilizing your money in the most responsible, efficient, appropriate ways? Yeah, thanks for the question. So... First, the thing we always tell our members is, as much as possible, try to avoid using cash. So use your debit card or your credit card, especially if you can pay that balance monthly. Because when you use your card, you are then able to create a record, a a printed record, a written record of your expenses every month. And it is then much easier to create a budget that you can follow. Hmm. So use your credit card. It'll make your budgeting much, much easier. And then what I always tell folks is work to create a rainy day savings fund, which, you know, experts vary in, in what they suggest, but somewhere between two and six months, that would cover two and six months of your monthly expenses. Right, right. So once you have that savings, then you can begin to pay down your your debt if you have debt or you know make some decisions to enjoy life i always tell folks you know you got to meet your expenses but it's also essential to go out with your family have fun enjoy life that gives you the fuel to keep going so i think the 50 30 20 rule uh works once you've set up that savings fund so so work hard to set up that rainy day savings fund. Do that by keeping strict on your budget for a while. And, you know, then you can do the 50, 30, 20. It, well, let me, and let me build on the savings a little bit. Savings accounts are, are offering better yields right yeah. now. Return rates are up. Personally, full disclosure, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a proponent of index funds. I, I think those are one way to keep some of these costs down. Where should people be saving? From your perspective. Yeah. You know, it changes according to the the reality is different for every individual. But if you have an employer sponsored retirement account and you're in a position to save and you are on the young end, then it might be time to 
save aggressively through your retirement account. If you don't have a uh, employer-sponsored retirement account, you can open an IRA at a local credit union. So mm-hmm. I would encourage you to do that. That's you know a long-term investment. And then, as you mentioned, Jeff, it is a good time to open up a money market account or a CD because they're paying really good interests right now. So, you know, you can, you know, the nice thing about a money market is that it pays a good return on your savings, but you can access the money at any time. So if you kind of are operating with slim margins, if if your budget requires that you have money easily accessible, then I recommend Mm -hmm. that you open a money market account. But if you are able to set aside some money, then I would recommend opening a CD mm-hmm. at a local credit union where you can earn a pretty good rate. There are many options. You are not a certified financial planner. I, I am not. Just just put that out there. I don't want to yeah. like make you feel like you're under the gun or anything like that. You mentioned IRAs. There are traditional IRAs, which uh, are pre-tax money. There's the Roth IRA, which is post-tax money. I'm also not a certified uh, financial planner, so mm-hmm. please correct me at any point if I'm uh, making mistakes here. This is Due South. I'm Jeff Tabiri. Gabe Trevis Kagan from the Latino Community Credit Union is here with us uh, covering a wide range of uh, topics as it pertains to money and financial literacy. Uh, Gabe, I want to throw a couple of questions your way from a couple of our listeners. Sophie asks on Instagram, What's your best financial advice for a fresh college grad? Hey, Sophie. I'm glad you're asking the question, and it's important to take control of your financial life early. And so I commend you for for the question and and for your interest in doing so. I think the the first thing to do is to be intentional with, you know, your banking relationship, as as I've been mentioning. Uh, I remember when I was a college student, uh, as a freshman, you know, the big banks had uh, tables across the, the quad and they were offering, you know, free towels and free shirts if you opened a credit card. I would, you know, caution you there and encourage you to really make an informed decision and pick a bank that where you feel comfortable, where you know the folks that work at the branch, where you feel like you can develop a long-term trust-based relationship and don't be suckered into opening an account or a credit card just for a free towel. Think long <laughs> Think long term. Free towel. Uh, and I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing that that's actually a thing that exists. Uh, one other question, maybe a throwaway. If you don't have something to add on this, I might. Uh, we got an email from Michelle who writes in, I am a potter and for the past few years have been claiming my income from that as hobby income on my taxes because after taking into account the cost of materials and equipment, I've had very little profit. However, I'm starting to gain sales momentum and am poised to make significantly more profits moving forward. What financial or tax considerations should I be thinking about as my, quote, side hustle, close quote, starts to become a more substantial portion of our household income? Thanks for the question, Michelle. Any thoughts there? Yeah. Well, congratulations, Michelle. It's good to hear that your side hustle is gaining in success. It might be a conversation you have with your partner to see how much of your your time and energy you can focus on investing in your pottery business. You know, that's where you and your partner will have to put together a budget and think, you know, about your you know, money coming in, money going out, and how you can slowly build your business. You know, it, it sounds like you've been taking your time 
and suddenly tasted some success, I would encourage you to continue to, to take it slow nonetheless, see how much of your time you can devote to your pottery business. And that's where keeping a budget is really, really helpful. You know, so you're not, uh, you're making informed decisions that are really grounded on your monthly expenses and revenue. And I would add just briefly, Michelle, if you uh, have someone who helps you with your taxes uh, or a tax expert in your realm ethos circle, I would recommend chatting with them. When I first got out of college, I did not have a full-time job for about a year and change. And for 15, 16 months out of school, I had eight part-time jobs. Some of them were seasonal. Some of them were uh, just in perpetuity. Uh, But I created a sole proprietorship. And what that did for me was it gave me a lot of different option, legal options and loopholes and write-offs. And it it really allowed me to do more with not a ton of money and not necessarily consistent income that was coming in. So um, sole proprietorship, if you have a bigger business, of course, there's the LLC option. But uh, talk to somebody uh, a lot smarter than me, please. That's the number one best thing you can do. Gabe Travis Kagan uh, from the Latino Community Credit Union. He is their vice president of development, is our guest on Due South. We're rolling along. I want to back up and, and just kind of throw one big old question your way and let you run with a little a little bit. We have not talked about this yet, but I think it's important to underscore income versus wealth in this concept when it comes to uh, personal finance and, and, and budgeting and so on and so forth. And I imagine that's something that you encounter and navigate with some regularity in, in your job. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, income and wealth, that's, that's the place to, that, that's important to focus on. Uh, you know, income is basically the sum of your earnings over a fixed period of time. So it could right. be a, a job. It could be if you're lucky to have a retirement account, uh, social security, or so forth. Whereas wealth is the, the sum total of your assets, a home, a car, against your debt, what you owe. And our level of income and our level of wealth varies often according to our, you know, our position in society. There's a, there's a racial component, there's a historical component, and all of that needs to be addressed. And it kind of fits the umbrella of economic equity which I think is, is an important frame for the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, you started, Jeff, by talking about how much someone can save if they avoid that expensive cup of coffee every month and that those savings can add up. Well, that's true. But I feel like too often the focus is on whether the individual is making sound financial decisions. Right. And, you know, it doesn't focus on the environment in which they're making those decisions, right? And whether or not they're set up to succeed or whether Exactly, it. whether they're set up to succeed or not. If you, uh, you know, come from a family that is low wealth, you're more likely to end up in a low paying job mm-hmm. and living paycheck to paycheck. So you can take a financial literacy course and become an expert at budgeting, but you're still swimming upstream. You know, the current is still against you. So what we try to do at the Latino Community Credit Union is is make sure that you are swimming with the current, that you have the access to economic opportunity so you are propped up for success. 
I want to just note something I read this week about the housing market. This was an article in the New York Times, and it was talking about 30-year fixed-rate mortgages. And it was getting at the connection between these long mortgages that allow, full disclosure, somebody like myself to buy a home and be locked into a monthly payment for 30 years versus other people who don't have access to these mortgages, can't get these mortgages, and the way in which it grows wealth over time and also uh, is somewhat unfair, right? Like I'm now locked into this low interest rate of less than 3% for 30 years. Like those rates are just are, are, are gone now. And so much of this is is access, it is timing, and uh, it it's not a system that is set up to support and allow everybody to to find success. So just stating the obvious there, but you, you triggered that that article that I read earlier this week. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you, you know, you're talking about you know, privilege, you know, and, Correct. and, yes, and no luck worries. and so many other components that impact someone's financial standing. So it's really important for all of us to keep that in mind. It's, you know, it's not about whether someone is making good choices or bad choices is where, as you mentioned, where they happen to be at a moment in time. And there's always context yeah. that we need to, to account for. Final couple of minutes, we're going to try something out here, maybe get a little weird. Uh, I'm going to be totally honest. I do not know what is coming at this point uh, in our conversation. Had an idea in a pre-production meeting for a little fun, maybe a little vulnerability, and to see what I do and perhaps do not know as it comes to personal finance and and, uh, fiscal literacy. So we're going to play a little uh, financial literacy quiz bowl. And Gabe, I'm hoping you have some sort of question here for me, something to stump me with or something that might spark a little conversation just in our final couple of moments. All right, Jeff, I'll try to be kind. We talked a little bit about the importance of establishing a rainy day fund. Right. What do you think is is the right amount that someone should keep for a rainy day fund? I, th- I, I mean, I was listening before. You said two to six months. I feel like the the benchmark that I read most often is six to nine months. Uh, which when I've talked about it with my wife over the years, like nine months to us seems like we don't want to just have like that. That, that seems like a lot, maybe a l- unnecessary to, to me. That sweet spot is like four five, six months, somewhere in there where if whatever it may be, you lose your job, you have a medical emergency, some calamity happens at home. You've got a window where you, but I mean, if you can save that much money, that's a lot of money for a lot of people, but that would be my answer somewhere. Yeah. And I, that's a really interesting response, Jeff, because I think for most folks, the idea of saving six to nine months is daunting to the point where they're not going to start Mm. savings. So what I always tell people is start with lower ambitions. You know, try to save two to three months, try to establish a rainy day fund of two to three months. And then, you know, later on, if you are able to add to the fund, do so. But don't let, you know, the perfect be the enemy of the good. That is critical. We have folks who really can start saving, putting a little bit to the side to build a rainy day fund, but think that they that they have to save an amount that's so much that they don't, you know, uh, they don't think it's possible. Okay, that makes total sense to me. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Last one, tis the season of giving. I wonder if you have an expectation or a guide star as you think about how much people who are able ought to ought to give ought to donate on a monthly or annual level 
goodness. Uh, I know that there's a movement to, for people to give 10% of their annual mm -hmm. income. And I think that is amazing. And if you can, I think you should. And I'm sure that you will feel good. But what I would say is that give whatever amount you can, but give intentionally, get to know the organization you're giving to and stay connected to them. Here, here. Otherwise, it just becomes transactional. You may only be able to give a small amount, but if you build a relationship with that organization, you become a champion for that organization. You may get others in your network to give to that organization. That's what matters. And also, it's a way to build community. When you, when you give to an organization or a, a local organization or, or a cause, you are entering into community with the folks that care about those causes, and that is invaluable. So I would say, I would say that. And mm -hmm. the other thing I would say Please. is the easiest way to invest in your local community is to bank with a local credit union. Because if you have your money invested in a local credit union, your savings are being put to work to create economic opportunity in the local community. So it's a while you're earning interest on your money market or a savings account, I'm sorry, or a CD. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a win-win. The money stays local. Simply. The money stays local. Gabe Trevis-Kagan is vice president of development at the Latino Community Credit Union, which opened its first branch uh, in North Carolina, in Durham, uh, more than 20 years ago. Gabe, thanks for joining us on Do South. Thank you, Jeff. I'm Jeff Tabiri. This is Do South on WUNC.